Life is full of personal wins. Whether it's cleaning your house, getting that dream car, or checking off your to-do list, winning at life is a great feeling. And with the State Farm Personal Price Plan, you can keep winning when you create an affordable price just for you by bundling home and auto. So give yourself a round of applause. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 612. The Fun Comfortable Tour is on. Well, it's on starting January 16th. I'm doing, I think, 16 dates so far and uh, a lot of cities. Second shows have been added in cities like Chicago and Boston and Seattle and Portland. Um, There's a bunch of other cities too. Vancouver, Denver, uh, Milwaukee, Madison, New York. Go to FunComfortableTour.com and come on out. This episode was incredibly special uh, for me because it's Henry Winkler. And, I mean... You know, not not just the Fonz, but uh, Night Shift was a movie that was very, very, very much a part of my young comedy development, and uh, I adore this man, and I'd always heard he was one of the nicest people that you could ever hope to meet, and I can confirm to you that he is, it, we showed up to his house, uh, he gave us cake, he introduced us to his family, he told us some amazing stories, he shared some wisdom, he's so warm. Uh, do you know what he's doing with his life now? I'm going to tell you one of the things he's doing with his life besides uh, acting. He uh, started a book series uh, a handful of years back called the Hank Zipser series. It's available now. Uh, you can buy it wherever books are sold. And this book series is devoted to teaching people who suffer from dyslexia how to read, how to comprehend, how to learn. He's made it fun and funny. Um, what I only recently learned is that he re- found out quite late in life, actually, that he had dyslexia. And so now it's his life's mission to make sure that uh, no one feels ashamed and that people uh, people learn uh, in a fun way uh, how to read who happen to have dyslexia. So I, I mean, you, this guy is just like, you just want to like wrap him up and just put him in your home and be like, please just Hug me, Henry Winkler. I wouldn't recommend that you do that. That's technically kidnapping. But spiritually, you might want to do that. Um, but on Twitter, you should throw him some tweet hugs. His uh, Twitter handle is hwinkler, the number four, and then real. And uh, here we go. And there's podcast number... Oh, oh, oh. And it was my birthday party that night. And there was a very special birthday thing that happened in this podcast. And when I'm thinking about it, it still kind of melts my brain. So here we go. Nerds Podcast number 612 with Mr. Henry Winkler. Now entering Nerdist.com.
I'm going to put that there. It's empty, so nothing will spill. Henry Winkler, we're in your home, which is uh, we were just describing as as gorgeous. It's a Cape Cod. Yes. In the middle of Los Angeles. In the middle of Los Angeles. I came here on May 5th about uh, 16 years ago Mm -hmm. and uh, knocked on the door because I heard that it was for sale and I wanted to beat everybody else. Because we were living in a house I hated. Mm -hmm. Uh, The other house that that we were living in, I had rooms I never went in. And for me, I can't have underwear I don't wear. (laughs) I I feel guilty. (laughs) So we uh, we were in that house. So it came here. It was pouring rain. And the dining room behind us. Uh, which is now covered in oyster plates. Okay. Uh, they are um, Majolica oyster plates. Oh, I see. Yeah. yeah. The, the wall is covered with them. But that room, which we actually have not used except to place desserts uh, on the tables. And so, eat oysters off the wall. And eat oysters off the wall. And you know what? They slide right off. It's not a drop good idea. Into your throat. But, oh, yeah. that is a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. The shell stays there, though. <laughs> it, it, you know, we glue the, the, the shell, each yeah. shell, well, onto the plate. It can't be too healthy, but it just looks I'm it just telling you, better that way. Yes, it's true. And then uh, oysters Rockefeller are just out of the question. <laughs> But anyway, that room was the old woman's bedroom because she couldn't get upstairs. Oh. oh. Yeah, of course, you, the, the listener cannot see. There's a big round table. I, I found out early on with children and guests, you don't want a long table. Right. You need a round table if you're going to have a family meal. Just so you can all see mm-hmm. each other. See each other, pass each other, um, you know, uh, talk to each other. So this, uh, so the image of a Henry Winkler at the end of a long table where everyone's at the far end of the table and you're just pounding your fist uh, in a well, dank room. Well, I sit That's above not... the salt. Okay, good, good, good. <laughs> and, I just want to make sure. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm there alone by choice. Good. That's good, on good. a long okay, table. Okay, great. And yeah. I want to tell you, when I go to a place that uh, has a long table, I take my own salt. You have so, to. Yeah. You have to. Yeah. I'm not interested in having much of a conversation. <laughs> no, you don't need not to. At all. Not on a long table. You know, oh, eating is not. functional. You need to get it done and then yes. get back to being away Do you know from what people. That, now, we're coming up on Thanksgiving. Am I allowed to say that? Of course. Okay. So we're coming up on Thanksgiving, which is my absolute favorite meal. Of all time. Of course it is. Okay. So, you know, when you, when you have um, a meal and there are lots of people who come, uh, I would say we have about 60 people at a table th- out on the lawn here in the back mm-hmm. of the house. People who have nowhere to go, they come. Okay. And usually you, it's always like family holds back. Mm-hmm. And that is true for us, too, for the Winklers. Family holds back except for me. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I get so hungry, I'm the first online. Really? But have, that's and okay. no shame. That's okay. And then at a certain point, you release the hounds because people have been here too long. That's right. And then you chase that's them off right. the, this gorgeous property. Yeah. And as they're running by, they're like, your trees are beautiful. Like, as they run yeah. into the streets. <laughs> Let's get caught. That's right. But it's such a... You said... Uh, you said like, oh, it's so strange that you know I have these home, like homes and these beautiful homes. Why is it? Have you not adjusted to this yet? Because it's you, you... no, because I grew up in the same apartment in New York City for twenty seven years. At my twenty seventh year, I came here to California to try my luck mm-hmm. and never went home. 
I cannot imagine that I have owned one, two, three, four homes and in between rented two mm-hmm. for at least a year. Hmm. That is shocking to me. It's funny that you, uh, this idea that you have of yourself, I don't mean, I mean you in the grand sense, you, but that people have of themselves is this idea of them as a kid, where it's still sort of, no matter how, where, where your life goes, it's still like, oh yeah, but this is weird because I'm that guy. You and know what, it's I, true though. It's like, you know, there's a very famous, uh, I think it's in Nashville, I think it's the Peabody Hotel. Memphis. Memphis, okay. From. So in the Peabody Hotel, mm-hmm. so like at 10 o'clock in the morning, the elevator comes down, it opens, mother duck comes out, oh, yeah. the baby ducks follow the mother duck into the, into the uh, fountain in the middle of the hotel, and then at the end of the day, they all go back. Mm-hmm. We are imprinted very young on what our experience is, and you never quite get over that. Yeah. And so That's was it true. strange for you to start succeeding so much? Did you feel weird about it or guilty or I odd? saw it as practical. What I realized was I didn't grow an inch. I didn't get any smarter. I still can't do geometry. I knew no more than I did before I was on TV in a hit show. So that thought alone kept me at bay, kept me in line, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And then when you have children, you're really kept in line. <laughs> so fame to me was practical. It, oh, here's Charlotte. Here's my dog. Yo. Hello, pupper. Oh, and here is Linus. No, Linus. Linus went right after. Linus, the coffee cake is up for you. Linus went right after the coffee cake. But if there's nothing in there. Um, which, but by Linus, the way, uh, now Linus. We have to do the same thing to Kyle. Kyle, Kyle. Yeah, no, it's okay. Thank you, Sarah. Such sweet, really pretty dogs. Well, can the, you the, the, um, my, uh, Labradoodle Charlotte is uh, 13 years old. Yeah. And she just had an operation on her leg, so she's wearing a cone. Which has to be the strangest experience for a dog. They do not understand why a barrier is constantly preventing them from the thing that they need to do. That's right. From seeing, from bumping into every piece of furniture Mm -hmm. or human being. Yep. Now we have, we also have a Labrador who came in to our life when he was four months old. This tiny guy, no bigger than this microphone. And the mother grew into a Great Dane. He's 120 pounds and will eat you out of house and home. <laughs> so they just came to visit. Oh, they're very, very sweet. Thank you. So what was your first gig what was your when you when you first moved out here and you did first of all what made you say oh i think i can uh, maybe try the to be a performer didn't say that okay wanted to be an actor studied to be an actor worried about being an actor prayed every night about working as an actor so anxious that I, I had uh, no sense of self. I was completely a ball of jelly. Somebody in New York, in my agent's office at the time, Joan Scott was my first agent, and John Kimball worked in the New York office. He said, if you want to be known to New York, stay here. If you want to be known to the world, go to California. 
I was so scared. It took me months to build up the courage to get on that plane. I came for one month. At the end of the month, I had happy days. Oh, my oh, God. Geez. So you just hustled right when you got here. Hustled? I, t- I got off the plane September 18th, uh, 1973. I took my bags, and I went to my agent's office thinking I was going to go on a, an interview that afternoon. <laughs> she said, don't you want to get acclimated? <laughs> I said, I don't care one minute about being acclimated. I want a job. One week later, I went for the Mary Tyler Moore show. That was my first job. Mm -hmm. And two weeks later, I went to Paramount Studios and auditioned for the Fonz. Two weeks later, my money ran out. They called me up. They said, would you like to play this character? I flew home for Thanksgiving. 1973, flew out after Thanksgiving, having broken up with my girlfriend, Glenda Miller at the time, and started the pilot for Happy Days. Jeez. Did you uh, break up with her because she was dead weight? Now you're going to be a big star? She actually, honest to God, she she didn't care for pretty much anything about me. Uh And... She even complained that my underwear was too large. Oh, yeah. Jeez, you got to really... ditch that. Was Glenda kidding. Miller just Glenn Miller in a wig? No, she was okay. not. Okay, yeah. all right. She was a, a, um, a, uh, a, a clothes stylist. Okay. Yeah. And you uh, were an outfit that she was not particularly... Putting on. <laughs> she was not putting on. Did... Figuratively... <laughs> And literally. Now, after Happy Days broke, did you get a call from Glenda like, oh, I like leather jackets? Or was she really like, did she come back around? There was an episode kind of like that, but we move on. But it's, yeah. it's, it's so, I mean, first of all, it's relatively unprecedented to essentially get off the plane and then walk right in. I mean, that's amazing. That is an amazing happening stance. Every day of my life. But I, before we get into that, the, the, what happened with happy days, I, well, I want to hear about the Mary Tyler Moore episode. I want because that's that's also one of my favorite. Okay. So here is a group of people who were so tight and such a strong ensemble. The people around the people who wrote it, the people who produced it were the creme de la creme in Hollywood. And I got four lines. So I went to audition. I went to uh, a, a, an office uh, and the producer said, look, we don't have the script, but I believe you have one line. Please pass the salt. <laughs> You're sitting at a table by yourself. Uh, there's a dinner party going on. And you say, so while he's talking to me, I took this glass of pencils, I emptied it on his desk, I took one pencil, clinked it, and I said, excuse me, listen, don't rush. If you get a moment, please pass the salt. <laughs> when I got back to the Sunset Marquee, with this, this hotel um, in uh, West Hollywood, I had the job. And I went and I ad-libbed my one line into eight. No way. 
Yeah, they let me ad lib, and then they hired me the 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 Mary Tyler Moore uh, MTM mm-hmm. company. Uh, Grant Tinker was the head of the company, a great man, a loyal man. He he um, hired me five times. After that, I did the Bob Newhart show. I did the uh, Paul Sand pilot uh, that starred Penny Marshall. Oh, wow. First time I ever met Penny. Oh, wow. Uh, then I got Happy Days. Then I went back. Then I did a voiceover. They called me just to do a voiceover of um, an attendant in an airport. And I went back and did that. It was amazing. Amazing. So the yeah, experience of working, of shooting the Marriage Island War show, was there... Uh, you said they were a tight knit group, but were, was it a was it a warm environment? It was a very warm environment, and they were lovely to me, even as a um, you know as a an under five, uh, which means that I had less than five lines player. Right, uh, they were great. And then Ed Asner, all these years later, became my father on Royal Pains. Mm-hmm. I'm the dad on Royal Pains. He was my dad, and that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, how was Ted Knight? Ted Knight was genuinely, instantly funny. I have worked with a lot of people, and not everybody is that funny instantly. John Ritter. Oh, yeah. Instantly funny. Constantly funny. And I don't mean always on. I mean just whatever he did was funny. You know, John Ritter. Of just course. Great. Yeah. So Ted Knight was great. And that character was, you know, one of the great characters that yeah. unfortunately, um, you know, people don't know about now as much. Which is too bad because it really is. I mean, I think as the years have gone on and on, it's been harder and harder. The sitcom game's a little bit harder, you know. They well, the sitcom game is harder because there's a lot that's not funny, <laughs> right? On, you know, right now. Yeah. But a lot that also, it's like the, there's so many premises have been done. It's like reinventing that over. You and know over what? And over I, I have to say that everything has been said under the sun. I think Alexander Pope said this. We have to find a new way to say it, mm-hmm. to say the same thing, right? There is a show uh, on, I think, Showtime called Episodes. Yeah, yeah, Matt LeBlanc. Yeah. Right. I think that is... I, I, I look forward every week to that show. Now, what is that about? It's about a TV show that they took, uh, Hollywood changed it, and uh, the people around. So you know that premise. It's been done a million times. Yeah. It is so incredibly fresh and vibrant that show and those people on that show so it's the characters really it's the characters yeah it's the characters and the 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 writing the, the writing and then the perspective that the characters that's bring. right and then the actor the um because but the writer is the beginning and the end mm-hmm. the writer is the most important person and yet here in hollywood one of the least respected people yeah you're right well you, or at least they're, they are completely changed out. They're, they're rewritten. They, you know, uh, but the, the writer is the, the, the kernel. Without the word, you can't direct anything. You can't light anything. You can't act anything. You can't make anything up. You cannot create a costume. It, the writer is the beginning and the end of the process, I think. Yeah. Now, you, so you were able to stretch, you were able to stretch Please Pass the Salt, which also was reflected 
when you eat dinner every night to keep everyone away from you. <laughs> That's true. Carry the salt. Do, do you were able to stretch that into eight lines? Is it is it true? So here are some rumors that I had always heard okay. about Happy Days and you and your okay. relationship to the show. That um, uh, Arthur Fonzarelli was supposed to just be in the fir- like in one episode, and then- no, 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 he just had like a line in every episode. Right. But he was in 7 out of 13 in the beginning. What, so that was supposed to be that way. Because I'd always heard, like, oh, right. he was in one episode and they loved him so much, they just, like, he became a, a no, mainstay. No, I, I had a contract for, I believe it was 7 out of 13. Okay. And then uh, after the first year, uh, we went on the air in February. And in April, I made my first personal appearance in Little Rock, Arkansas. Ah. I got paid $1,000 to go to sign autographs for the newspaper of Little Rock, Arkansas. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry I forgot the name of the newspaper. I want to say it was the Constitution, but it's probably not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I went. I got off the plane. At about 1230 at night, we landed in Little Rock. 3,000 people were at the airport in poodle skirts (laughs) or dungarees and T-shirts. Yes. And I literally had no idea why they were there. I thought it was like a party and they rented the space of the, you know, the the corridor of, um, you know, where you, you land. And then they said, no, 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 that's for you. And it was the first time. I, I I ever lived through anything like that. That was just a couple months after the show had been. That on was the a air. couple of months. So the television, like the, it was the the power of television was, and only three networks. Yes, mm. you know there was no cable. There was only ABC, NBC, and CBS. And ABC was in the cellar. They were the the bottom rated network of America. Wow, and was that was Happy Days? Was that ABC? That was ABC. That was ABC. ABC. But Tuesday then, night, 8 o'clock. But then uh, the, I remember that the first, I don't know if it was the first two seasons or the first season of Happy Days was shot differently. Yes. Like it became a like single camera to maybe multicam. In 1975, we went on the air in 74. In September of 75, we did our first in front of a live audience. Right. And the right. reason we did that is because we were not rated very well. We were 48th in the country of all shows on all networks. And they were going to take us off. And I think Gary Marshall said, let's try and have an experiment Let's do it in front of a live audience. If it doesn't work, goodbye. Mm-hmm. And we went to number one. That's crazy. Because I remember the, recently there was that show with uh, Christine Applegate that they tried. It was a one-camera show that they they took they stopped and they were going to do it again. Yes, and that was a, called Up All Night. Yes, Up All Night with uh, right. Will Arnett. That's and, right. And then uh, Maya Rudolph. That's right. Yeah, and like I remember that was such a crazy idea to me. I, I had no idea that had happened before. Yes, What do you think it was? What do you think it was? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is maybe it was that when you are confined to the space of one soundstage, the compression of that, like if you do a Broadway play and you do it in a smaller theater, Mm -hmm. the compression of your energy off the stage Across the audience and back again Mm -hmm. is enormous. If you play in a large house, then it is much more difficult. 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and I'm just talking off the top of my head. I don't. I really don't know why. But maybe it is because they, the humor was confined to what we could do on the one sound stage that um, uh, just pumped it up better. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, I wonder if also it's something to do with because when you're shooting single camera, there's a, a the, the vibe of your show was such a hey, it's like I'm seeing my family. Right. That you almost feel like you're a part of the household if it's multicam because it's like it's open. And you're and but you're you getting what, this that, different point of view, but single yeah. cam is very much you're yeah. very limited to whatever the director specifically wants to show you. Yeah, that's and very maybe, possible. I, who knows? But it worked. It did, and, and, and thank God. And not only did it work, but it's one of them. I don't know that I got to do that in my life. That I got to be with those people. We just went uh, two days ago, three days ago to Gary Marshall's. 80th birthday party. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. Do you know? Uh, I just spoke to Anson Williams. He's written a new book. Uh, Donnie Most has become uh, Tony Bennett. <laughs> what? Uh, I, he now sings in clubs, and he is incredible. Whatever happened to Ron Howard? He didn't really do much No, after. he did not. Yeah. You know what? That he was always uh, a sloth. <laughs> <laughs> now, Clint. <laughs> never knew his lines. Never showed up on time. Drunk a lot. Oh, not. <laughs> you could tell. Ron. Yeah. Yeah. That's why they well, had to get rid of him Grace most of the way through. No, the... they kept him because of his red hair. They, they needed a shock of color. I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah. That's what it was. They're like, people want to see gingers. Red hair, 50s, it all went together. <laughs> Whatever happened to, wasn't there a brother, Chuck? That, there was. And he just died or well, went away the, or the went to war? The first Chuck. The first Chuck. All of a sudden, got a television show and decided, I don't want to be an actor. <laughs> and he went down to uh, San Diego, and I think he uh, became a, an insurance salesman. Wow. So, oh, okay. so then there was a second Chuck. And the second Chuck was really terrific. Uh, but what happened is the Fonz became the older brother. Right. So they couldn't write two brothers. They didn't have room. They wrote themselves right out of Chuck. Right. So he went upstairs. He said, Good night. <laughs> and that was it. He never, he never, he never came down. So, he didn't even come down for cookies. So, <laughs> so there was just never. It's kind of. I think if you start exploring the lore of that world, it's just like they have this weird shut-in brother that no one talks about. But if you watch the series and imagine that he's up there being creepy, yes. I think it does add an interesting yeah, element. You know, if you pass the house and the house is in, uh, in, in you know, that they used for the Cunningham house uh, is owned by a, a family and they're in um, Hollywood. If you pass the house, you can sometimes see Chuck <laughs> sitting in the window Just in, a, in a rocking chair. He'll ask me to come downstairs any day now. <laughs> now, uh, did you... The other rumor I heard was that were you offered a Fonzie spinoff and yes. you said, no, I don't yes, want to do I it? Yes, I did. They wanted to, first of all, they wanted to change the name of the show. Now we're five years in. Right. Then they wanted to change the show to Fonzie's Happy Days. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't, I'm going to ask you, please. I have, I'm an actor. I'm here on the set. Uh, you're the network. You certainly have the power. I'm going to ask you, please, not to do that. It is so totally disrespectful to the ensemble of actors that I'm in. That is 
It's crazy. I don't know if I can live with it. Then they said, okay, how about if we spin you off, we give you your own show. And I thought to myself, okay, that's a great compliment. I'm getting my own show. Wow. Okay, now I'm going to go E for a half an hour. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to talk to a whole new group of people that have nothing to do with my history. It would be like shooting myself in the foot. I was born on this show with these people. This is where I'm going out. Do you know what I mean? How did you have the foresight? I mean, like, very few actors would have not... I mean, even just based on an ego decision would be like, oh, yes, I would love to be... not And not recognize, well, maybe I function best as part of this other machine. I function best. I knew that I functioned best. Uh, Who was going to replace Marion Ross... As my mother. Who was going to replace Ron Howard as one of the greatest acting partners I've ever had? Yeah. Who is going to replace um, Scott Baio, this young boy who came in and hit a home run? Mm-hmm. Or Donnie or Anson or Tom Bosley, rest his soul. I, th- the thought of it made me nauseous. Do you know? Yeah. And I, I just said, I, do whatever you want. I'm, I can't go. I'm the not doing it. The network must have been confounded by that. I yeah. don't understand. He's a performer. We're offering him more money. What does he want? Right. If you're not motivated by, if you, if you, and this is a lot. And I want to say, right off the, honestly, right? And I'm going to say this to all of you Please. in the room yeah. right now. I love money. <laughs> all kinds it's I nice love, you know what as long as it as you can change it into american dollars i'm crazy about it it's great oh, wow yeah yeah good, yeah. good. but the, it's like american is your favorite american is at the moment is my favorite yeah, yeah okay if i move to another country who knows I, let's talk yeah. who knows what could happen really but it, but but <laughs> the rupee uh, is probably you know yeah. second I, I, right rupee is second. i'm not crazy about the rupee right. because you know you need a wheelbarrow for like a, a loaf of bread right <laughs> And you, you don't want to have to go really? to the store. No, yeah. I'm a little older now. Yeah. I'm not interested mm. in, a, in, a, in pushing a wheelbarrow. <laughs> What's your take on Franks? Huh? What's your take on Franks? Fra- you mean the French Frank? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know what? I'm crazy about the Frank. I love their pastry. I can't speak the language, so I probably wouldn't move there. Um, yeah, because the money is meaningless to you. But you I don't will know say that the French are lovely to me. I was uh, made a, uh, a commander of uh, arts and letters. Uh, I have a um, a thing, a, a medal from the government of France. Why are we not going to France with your medal and just like walking into places and being like, "Give us stuff"? Yeah, is that like we, having citizenship? Huh? Do you, can you essentially say you're a... no, mm. no? It didn't go that far. Well, I mean, what good's the medal then? But um, England, I like England. I I, I was um, I was given the uh, Order of the British Empire. Jesus. Yeah. You might not want to look me right in the eye. <laughs> oh, that would explain all the you know, guys with sunglasses and their fingers in their ear wandering around the I'm property. Not I, I, if I were you, I would turn my chair a little. There's a little there's, to your left. How much? I don't want to scrape dot the on floor. Your neck. There's a red dot on your forehead. There's a red dot on you, Jonah. Yeah. No, I was playing with a red pen earlier. Oh, okay, that's what it is. <laughs> but it's so interesting to a little sharpie. <laughs> yeah, just like I carried away. And you missed the paper. <laughs> I did. Yeah. It was it was in front of me the whole time. Uh, yeah. It's it ironic was... that Jonah was using a sharpie. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's interesting to me to make choices that are not ego based 
because from my limited experience with but you. But I do. And I how have. do you how do you how do you take your ego out of the decision making process when because it's so alluring? I, you know why? Because I've been burned. Uh, I was asked to direct a movie. I read it, knew it couldn't do it, didn't didn't connect to it. But it was a major studio. It was like a big budget movie. I wanted to be a director. I had directed um, Billy Crystal and the late Alan King in a wonderful movie called Memories of Me. Mm -hmm. Now I'm getting a big Hollywood movie. I said, but Henry, you don't want to do this movie. You don't know how to do this movie. This is, it's not for you. I went, yeah, but it's a big studio. <laughs> and I literally beat my instinct to a pulp and I was fired 13 days later. Whoa. Uh, 13 days into the filming, I did like, you know, what is it, six or 11 weeks of pre-production. Um, I was having a great old time. 13 days into filming, I, I got a call, go home. And my brain turned into cream cheese. I thought my life was over. That's incredible. What was the movie? Um, it was a movie. Okay. Yeah, what, what I would like to say to your audience, though, yes. the people listening... When you come up against a barrier like that, when something happens to you in your life like that, and you think, oh, my God, I don't know what to do. There, I, maybe I'm at the end and, the, and I'm just starting. It's not the end. It is not the end. You will figure out how to keep throwing yourself against the wall like pasta till you stick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. if you, I'm just saying. No. Yeah. It, yes. As long as you can process... The experience, if you don't file it as a failure or if you file it as a... Um... I filed it for a long time as a failure. Honest to God, cried. I cried openly. I, uh, I, I, I thank God I did not cry like in restaurants. <laughs> but that was about the limit. But, it, but, if, but at a certain point, if you're able to go, okay, so here's what I learned from this experience. I mean, you know, events and experiences are essentially neutral it's however you're going to perceive the You know situation. what? I never thought of it that way, but that you're exactly correct. And so if you're able to – and I'm not saying that this is an easy thing to do and I'm not great at it, but it's a nice thing to say. But if you're able to look at a situation and say, well, what can I learn from this? Well, what you learned is not to let your ego make decisions for you and maybe you learned something more about – When your instinct says no, do not second-guess yourself. It's that, that feeling in your gut. In your tummy. Yeah. When, as a parent – if you get a feeling that, oh, my gosh, I just know my kid should not go to that party, you hang in tough. If it's work, if it's somebody you're going to date and you go, wow, I get a bad feeling and but beautiful, like, like beautiful. And, but, wow, this is not right. Go home. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> well, how much do you like? How do you know that that's like the right move? As or you will know, and I know now. I will tell you, and you can take it to the bank. I'm looking you right in the eye right now, and I'm telling you, when your instinct goes off, you are right. Your instinct knows everything. Your head only knows some things. Okay. Yeah, uh, that's what I've learned in my life. Yeah, my, I, I was. I'm always just afraid that it's like self doubt. No. Is so it's no, 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 it's different. That. It's different. You, you will know when it's your when the alarm your goes off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, your gut's smarter than your brain. It's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And a lot of times we talk ourselves, you know, the the sort of the blessing and the curse, the 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 gift of being uh, higher on the food chain 
means that we can uh, get in the way of our decision-making process more often yes. <laughs> because we can think ourselves into cul-de-sacs. Higher on the food chain, if you make a decision against your instinct, you will be lower on the food chain yes. very quickly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it is still very interesting to me, that, and, and I applaud your decision not to take the spinoff because Happy Days spun off so many shows. Right. Spun off. A lot there. of them failed. But but and, but the strangest being Mark and Mindy. Mindy was great. Uh, Laverne and Shirley, those two were great. How did they? Well, Laverne and Shirley, ama- amazing, and Mork and Mindy, amazing. But I was never, even as a kid, I was like, and they didn't even really try to justify it. It was just like, why is there an alien in Milwaukee all of a sudden? Mm, I don't. Uh, and it the, didn't matter. Here, this is the myth. <laughs> yeah. uh, he is now a wonderful director, but Gary Marshall's son, Scott, yeah. was eight or nine at the time. And, uh, you know, they would come to the set, uh, watch them grow up. But his son, uh, Gary Marshall's son, uh, Scott, said, wouldn't it be great if the Fonz was confronted by an alien? <laughs> <laughs> his dad just happened to be able to make that happen. And his dad made that happen. Jeez. That's incredible. That is... The myth I know. Uh, I've never corroborated it, but I believe it to be true. So it basically was fan fiction that was able to be materialized yes. because it was the, the right person's son. That's right. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Making it all sci-fi. All those shows are now sci-fi because of that one element. <laughs> because of that one. Especially, too, because uh, Mork must have, uh, because of uh, him as an alien coming to uh, you know the happy days, meaning like time travel happened, so he was able to exist. That's why Laverne Shirley happened in the future compared sure. to Happy Days and all that stuff. So, so it's, it a, it's a whole sci-fi genre. And I don't understand one word you said, but it sounds so interesting. <laughs> it does. I don't even know what I'm saying. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Laverne and Shirley was in the future compared to Happy Days. Oh no, kidding. Think now, about it. I swear to you, I never I knew. Remember because an... we went out with them on the show, and then they shot into the future to do their show? Mork messed up fingers. the whole Oh, my you... God. I've Fun... got to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> you already are in bed. Oh, my <laughs> God. No, this, is, this, might be a, this might be a personal question. This might go be ahead. a personal question. Go ahead. <laughs> what, in your mind... When the Fonz was hooking up with all these ladies, yes. was he having sex with them, or was he just making out with them, or were they just hanging out? Okay, okay, let me think about that. In my mind now, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was, he was in bed with them. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was hooking up. In the most romantic of places, the bathroom. at a, or a, Well, that was my office. That was your office? Yeah. I didn't make out with anybody in there. No, because no. that's where work yeah, happens. Because yeah. I don't know. You know those little cakes in the urinal? Yes. That is not a romantic smell. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a place you want to bring a girl, no matter how many flowers you put in there. I'm not kidding. Certainly not in a diner. No. no. But no. Uh, what, uh, what an amazing... And then... And you know what? I mean, think about this. Ralph Mouth made in there. He, he we did. Went number one in there. Yeah, right. you don't yeah. want to. No. He made everything awkward. <laughs> oh, my gosh. He was also, unfortunately, the character. Lori Beth, come with me into that. No. <laughs> how many of us How many of us wanted to be a Fonz, but were actually a Ralph? I was. Me. No, yeah. you too. I wanted to be a Fonz. You got to I be. Was, I got to be the Fonz, but that was play acting. That was not who I was in real life. Well, I think it's one of the reasons why, and this is dovetailing into one of my favorite movies of yes. all times is Night Shift. Okay, me too. Where you were very opposite Fonz. Do you know why? 
Ron Howard said you can play either role. I thought, ooh, Billy Blaze is kind of like the Fonz. Mm-hmm. I'm going to play Richie. And that's what I did. It was so good. I played Chuck as Richie. That's great. And if you hadn't, then we also wouldn't have gotten Michael Keaton. Oh, my gosh. But I'm telling you that we auditioned everybody. He came in, and within 30 seconds, Ron looked at me and went, yeah. Wow. And then now in Birdman, from there to Birdman. Did you see Birdman? <gasps> oh, yeah. so good. So but here, good. let me just say, can we, can we, uh, when, I don't know when this is going out, but for your uh, Whiplash. Yeah. Oh, we were just talking we were about just that talking on about the right over. I love Whiplash. Oh, my goodness. Now, that, that, that's a performance that's going to be nominated. Yes. J.K. Simmons. Oh, yeah. All right. And did you see Foxcatcher? Not yet. All three. That's what I've heard, yeah. Channing Tatum, mm-hmm. is that his name? Yeah, Channing Tatum, Steve Carell. Holy mackerel. You think of him one way as, as, as Mr. Mike? Or, Magic, um, Mi- or Magic Mad- Mike. Oh, yes, right, Dancing Mike. Yeah. Can I, <laughs> can I just say, the man will floor you. Really? The man, w- you will drop your jaw. Then Steve Carell. Mm-hmm. And then Mark Ruffalo. The three of them will be nominated. That's awesome. It's yeah, fun. I can't wait to see it's it. It's fun. Wa- uh, and it's dark. Yeah, it looks it's incredibly dark. dark. Just movie. that in the trailer, there's that one shot of just him showing up to the like uh, practice with a gun in his hand. And oh my god! It's fun yeah. seeing how much of a fan of stuff you are. I, you know what? I get crazy when I meet musicians. I get tongue tied when I meet. Musicians. But they must have been tongue-tied meeting you. Like, you must have met people in the 70s that were like, you were like, I can't believe you're you. And you're like, shit, I can't believe you're well, you. Well, let me just say, if that's true, David Bowie never showed it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not kidding. He looked at me when Henry Howard. <laughs> I thought, okay, he doesn't care. Yeah. I, of course, you know, I, hey, listen, Major Tom, how are you? <laughs> but I get crazy. When I meet people that, like, I met Bruno Mars, uh-huh. couldn't speak. Really? I met Mick Jagger, made an ass out of myself. How? How did you make an ass of yourself? <laughs> I walked up to him in a sushi restaurant. I've told this story before, but I walked up to him, and this was only less than a year ago. Walked up to him, and I went, Mick Jagger, you know, we, we met once before, but I, we, and I'm so happy and, and I have got every CD. I mean, I, I am, I've downloaded, I, I saw you in concert before I left New York to come here and to do this. I love you. I think you're the great, I, you're an humble. And he looked at me and he went, Henry. <laughs> and I slunk out <gasps> of the restaurant. I went, okay, okay now, just, I'm going to pull myself together and walk out the door. Oh, he wasn't. He wasn't screwing with you. He was just being sort of. He was Henry. Okay. Oh. Okay. I've just made a complete ass out of myself. No. And he didn't. Like it's just like well, the he fact was that with even, his girlfriend. Yeah, but he didn't even like like. There was no polite. It was just like the the fact that he barely did anything. Well, I thought that perhaps I I should have just nodded. No, yeah. he was wrong. You were right. I should have Although, just. I should have just winked. Next time. <laughs> and you and that was the second time I met him. I, I met him on a plane going to Miami where the Happy Days ball team was playing, um, uh, you know, uh, at the Dolphins uh, Stadium. Yeah. 
you know, the third softball. time you meet him, I have a suggestion, and you don't have to do it. No, I'm gonna. You know what? The third time, I'm gonna send him a note. No, <laughs> just go. I'm really excited that you're in the same restaurant. Here's what you do: you see him in the restaurant. You walk into the restaurant, put on the leather jacket, hit the jukebox, and you just look at him and, and walk I out. I start dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. You you hit the jukebox. It comes I got on. It. And then I don't see any other way that you can meet me next time. I'm going to do it. But I think you have experiences like that. And, and it's also part of the reason. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My grandson just walked in with my daughter. Hello. That's Zoe. And Hi. my wife, Stacy. And ladies and gentlemen, Ace in the house. Hooray. We're with the government. Yeah. Hi. We're just talking to your dad about something. Sorry. I'm so glad you did. Come on. It's real bad out there, isn't it? It's oh. the end of the world. Are you hungry for I love you, Ace. Uh, he's, a, he's a redhead. He's a redhead, like his mommy, like his grandma. And then we have uh, two granddaughters, uh, India Bell and um, Lulu. Lulu was here this afternoon. I saw the name on the uh, chalkboard out there. Yeah. So Lulu. There's, there's nothing. Oh, Elton John? Yes. Oh, man. I went up to him. I said, John, I'm crazy about you. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, Elton. It's I'm Reginald, going, actually. I'm going to walk away now. No, but you. But it probably made you more uh, sensitive to people coming up to you that you would be very accommodating. I didn't you... need that kind of sensitivity training. <laughs> oh. I'm pretty good with people come up to me. Yeah. I was just mortified by my brain... And my mouth. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I think I think you should have gone. Easier but I do on love. You. I love meeting musicians. Were uh, did you? Were there a lot? Of, were were there guest stars on the show that you? Were you like, oh, I want to meet this person. We should get them on the, the Lone show. Ranger. Oh, I have a silver bullet. I have a silver bullet. Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, Howdy Doody. You you don't probably I remember, don't remember the Howdy Doody yeah. one where they dress Richie up like Howdy Doody. Hello. Yes. And I was in the peanut gallery as a little boy and went home with a, um, a jar of uh, Ovaltine. Oh, wow. Wow. Unbelievable. How do you... Buffalo Bob was on our show. Phil Silvers. <gasps> you know who came to visit? No. John Lennon. W- when? Yes. Came to visit in the, what, early on because I, the, the picture I have is of me in the uh, cloth jacket before I got to wear leather. Right. And his son, Julian, who was uh, eight or nine at the time. Wow. That's incredible. Ringo came with Keith Moon, the drummer. What? Who yes. Fortunately passed away, the yeah. Who, the Who's drummer. Wow. What, they came to set? They came to set. Just to, to hang to, out? And to say, hang out. Say hi. Was he? What was Michael Keith Jackson. Doing? I came around the corner to my dressing room. Michael Jackson was sitting there, and he was doodling on my script. <laughs> I have um, his doodle. You saved it? I saw Oh. Believe me. How old I'm is a you? hoarder. I think I'm yeah. a hoarder. Yeah. <laughs> I save everything. Yeah. That's been, you should have a museum. Hank Aaron? Yeah. Hank wow. Aaron? Came. Really? Yeah. Wow. 714. Yeah. So at this, this time where you go to the airport in Little Rock and a few months after you get this job and there's 3,000 people there and they're yes. screaming and you're, and you're feeling this yes. and it's like, how do, you, how do you stay grounded and how do you... Just sort of not flip out. I never 
was able to make the connection that this was happening because of me. I, I thought, oh, they like the character, but I never absorbed it as I walk on water. Mm-hmm. I am really an important person that never, ever entered my consciousness. Was it the respect for the craft that you had and like the writers no, and the... I think it was the lack of self that I didn't have. That I couldn't make the connection that I've never been treated this way. I didn't do well in most things growing hmm. up. You know, that's why I now write the books um, for kids uh, about uh, learning challenges. Uh, why I talk to children in um, three or four countries uh, about all things are possible. And it doesn't matter how difficult school is for you. So you had, is this true that you had dyslexia but didn't know until you were about 30? 31. 31. 31. My stepson, Jed, was tested and everything that they said about him was true about me. And you... And now one out of five... You know, and we don't do much about it. Uh, 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 The world doesn't, but certainly America doesn't. I figured out because uh, children don't vote. So we don't really have to do much for them. (laughs) We just talk about them. Mm -hmm. Just about how important they are as the future. We just don't have to educate them. Do you know? Yeah. But at that time, I mean... You must have been working, but I mean, you were working. That was happy days. I was point, working, right? but I was always covering. I was always embarrassed. How were you covering? Well, because I couldn't read, so I would improvise. I learned to improvise to save my life. Wow. You know, and, and I would go into an audition. I would memorize as quickly as I could, and what I didn't remember from the page, I made up. That was your survival mechanism. That was my, sur- that, my survival mechanism. And did anyone on the show know at the time? No, because I didn't know. What they did know was that on Monday morning when we read the script around the table for the producers that I stumbled over every word and, you know, constantly had to go back and start again. They knew that. So hmm. when you were growing up, what did you think it was? Well, when I was growing up, I was just told I was stupid. Oh, Jesus. But children today, they are still, you know, um, there are some teachers who are now trained and, and realize that there are kids, one out of five children learn differently. But do you know that testing in the third and fourth grade is how they decide how many prison cells they're going to construct? What? Jeez. In England also. It is true. It's a it's a, a qualified uh, quantified fact. Holy, you're nodding, Kyle. You've yeah. you've heard of this. Yeah. And it's just based on the aptitude tests. And because, in you know, and I say this all the time, but a teacher has thirty kids in the class, has to teach the fastest kid and the slowest kid the same exact information in the same amount of time. Somebody is not getting it. Sure. Somebody is falling through the cracks. And a child who falls through the cracks has to feel good about themselves in some way. And some turn it negatively. And some, uh, you know, just 
manage to work their way through. So when you first discovered, when you had this moment, oh, wow, okay, okay, yeah. there's this... What at that time? What tools were in place to help you? I mean, did your life change almost immediately? No. no. First thing was I was angry beyond red. I saw purple because all of that yelling and screaming in my house and grounding and punishment and not being able to watch television. And when I was growing up, television was tubes, so. If I didn't turn it off in enough time before my parents came home from wherever they went on Saturday night, they only had to touch the top of the television to know if I had it on or not. Oh, yeah. Because they could feel the heat. That All of that was for nothing. Because this brain was not going to get it, you know, come hell or high water. No matter how many tutors I had. No matter how long I sat at my desk. Your ability to survive certainly contributed to a lot of the things in your life. Yes. The will. The will. The will. I now know that one of the most important components uh, to maintain uh, in your child is their will. Every kid knows what they're great at. You just have to ask a kid, what are you great at? They'll tell you, I'm great at running. One kid said, I'm great at being myself. I'm great at math. I'm great at the violin. I'm great at science. I'm great at painting. They, football, they all know. And if this country is going to maintain greatness, we need every child to be on all eight cylinders in what they are great in, in order to survive. And not, you know, there, there's a great story um, that uh, an uh, educational theorist, theorist, Um, tells uh, Sir Ken Richardson. A little kid is sitting there. She's in the second grade. She's drawing. Teacher comes up and says, what are you drawing, Sally? I'm drawing God. Teacher said, oh, well, you know, nobody knows what God looks like. Sally looked up and said, in a minute they will. (laughs) (laughs) And that to me is the microcosm of the journey our children know, and we educate them almost out of themselves into their heads. So we take all of their creativity, all of their whatever they do great, and, and we just squeeze it like, a, like an orange in a, in, a, in a juicer and get it all out, and then we leave them with like a little pulp. To try to force them into a system or force them into to keep them from being great. Right. Uh, But and it's not even they're not. I don't think they're thinking that we're not going to let them be great, but it's going to be easier for us as adults. Right. You know, and then then you go to West Virginia and you go to the Ripley school system and they're the parents, the teachers, the students Everybody, the librarians are all reading the same book so they all can talk about um, something. Yeah. If you listen very carefully, my grandson is two years old playing the drums. That's oh, you have true. a drum kit in there? I do. We have like this big. That's adorable. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it's a lot of patience. He's going to be a musician and then it you're going to be nervous to talk patience. to him. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. Are you going to do I, some J.K. Simmons whiplash stuff to him if he doesn't get any better? You know what? I walk in there and I slap my yeah, hand. Yeah. I say, are we keeping the rhythm? Are you keeping the rhythm? No. 
<laughs> so you, you wrote you, you wrote you wrote this series of books which are basically are designed for children with, to make them laugh to make but also if if they have difficulty learning or reading you said it's a very specific yes, font. The, the, the newest um, uh, series that we have written is called Here's Hank. Mm-hmm. Here's Hank. And it's, he's in the second grade. And the publisher, uh, Grosset, uh, found a new font uh, designed by a dad in Holland for his children who are dyslexic. And it literally makes it easier to scan the words across the page. But they, our books are comedies first. I mean, that is hands down. They are to make the kid laugh. And then some children write and they say, how did you know me so well? Aww. You know? So it, it's great. It's great. I'm very... I, outside of my children and my grandchildren, I am proudest of the books. And I am crazy about the fact that I get to live my dream as an actor, even now, after all this time. What is the weirdest thing? Because at the height of Fon's fame, they were basically like, well, we could put this guy on anything and people are going to want it because it's him. What was the weirdest thing? They wanted me to sing on an album. They wanted me to make an album. I said, I don't sing. (laughs) I I cannot sing. So they said, don't worry about it. You'll, You'll sing one note at a time. And we'll piece it oh, together. Oh. I said, I don't think so. I don't think I'm going to do that. I don't think I can do that. Um, I'm not. Uh, then they said, okay, can we put together a compilation of your favorite 50s songs? I said, well, that's closer. <laughs> and then there's a big album with my face on it that people bring to me and I sign. Oh, wow. That's incredible. Were you comfortable? I mean... You're, I'm, I, this, I, I'm sure you've been asked a million times that I apologize, but I just didn't hear the answer. Uh, when you jump over the shark in Arrested yes. Development, yes, was the most layered nod to such a specific pop culture thing that is, were you cool? I mean, like, because you, you seem to have a sense of humor about stuff. So did you think it was funny? Did you get it? Or did you, are you like, oh, come on, give, give. You mean when they came up with the phrase? Yes. Oh, no, I knew what the phrase, I knew what they were talking about, except that we were number one for years yes, after I jumped course. the shark. And then on Arrested Development, I jumped the shark a second time. <laughs> so I'm the only actor in the world who's jumped the shark twice, you know? I literally um, jumped the shark. I did all the water skiing except for the jump. They hired a uh, stuntman from Florida. Oh wow! A water skiing stuntman to do that. You got to have. You got to get them to put it into Children's Hospital and do it a third (gasps) time. The new season is coming. I think in March. Oh yeah. I'm telling you, they have me doing the craziest things. <laughs> this might saying be, a lot. <laughs> this might be my favorite season of all time. Oh, nice. I got to be, in one of the episodes, I got to be John Cleese in Faulty Towers. That's podcasting him tomorrow. Will you send him my respect? Do you know him? I never met him. Oh, me neither. Maybe I shook his hand once. <sighs> but we watched every episode when Max, my son, who is now a director and a writer... Uh, here in um, in uh, California, he was four, and he loved it. And all of a sudden, I had a friend from Germany who said, hey, my sister and her new husband are coming to Los Angeles. And I said, invite them to my house. Tell them they're coming to my house for dinner. 
We sat at the dinner table, and all of a sudden, my four-year-old comes in. Don't mention Zavol! <laughs> Don't mention Zavol! And his hand is out, and he's goose-stepping. <laughs> I swear to you, their eyes, you know, like on Halloween, you wear those eyes yes, on, on eyes. like, slinkies. Yes. <laughs> their eyes became slinkified. Uh. <laughs> and then I had to explain to them in broken English, in broken German, because my parents were German, that he's joking. He's kidding. It's a program. Was there any way of backpedaling out of that with the German folks? Did they understand? No, they didn't. It was not. It was horrible. <laughs> Then I served them. Uh, I, I served them uh, Hagen Dust bars. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh my God! I'm so sorry. Please enjoy your ice cream. Is there any- <laughs> <laughs> but you really should watch Faulty Towers because it's a great show. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God! But I, I but I, I got to to be, um, I got to be John Cleese in uh, that great episode. Um, when he it runs back and forth out of the kitchen, mm-hmm. um, you know. Yeah. And there's nothing to eat, and he is yelling at the chef who doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So was it, was Happy Days 12 seasons? No, 10. 10 seasons. 10 seasons, but we did uh, two seasons in one year. We shot, we just kept going. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then were you relieved, or was it... You know, it was time. Yeah. It was time. I, it was time. W- Here's the next lesson that I learned. You have to know, if nothing else, you have to know what you want. If you do not know what you want, you will move in a circle, like a motorboat that just keeps turning in the water around and around and around. I'm telling you, uh, it, it was psychically painful because I had just lived my dream and I had lived it to the nines and now it was over and I didn't know what to do. I was, I was immobile. I was petrified. I sat in my office at Paramount and I knew I was smart enough. You don't know what you want. You don't know what you're doing. Don't do anything. I just sat there started to produce didn't like producing much but we did macgyver and Mm. sightings and uh you know a show for the disney channel and i had a great time doing that i I was fortunate to do i didn't have a great time i was fortunate right directed never really got in the directing game never really got in the club I directed television, I directed commercials, I directed two features, I directed Dolly Parton's first um, television movie, wow. but I, it, I never, I never turned the mower, it, it was like I was pulling a lawnmower, you know, you pull when you used mm-hmm. to pull that lawnmower and it just wouldn't kick over, that was my, my directing career. Ten years of really not being able to get work as an actor started to happen again in 1991 and then in 2013 2003 2003 we started writing these books and now we've written 29 novels wow was the was the was the acting stuff just because they were like oh well you're this one character yes. and we can't make you no I one else is going to believe you as anything yeah. else 
I was typecast. I, I, I did everything I could to fight it, but it is bigger than you are. So then it is up to you to, figure, to make yourself into mercury so that you can slip through the smallest hole in the dike. Do you know? Mm-hmm. You, 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 you find the way across over to the other side. And only you can do that. You know, you can't look um, for help because uh, most of the time you call people and you say, oh, my gosh, I'm really stuck. I, can, we, can, I, can I come talk to you? And they'll talk to you and then you go home. Yeah. So it really is up to you and your will. That's why, again, I mention will. That will let you survive or not. Do you think some of it has to do with because you know it, you made a point that I 100% agree with which is know exactly what you want. Most people don't know what they want. And, it's the key. And, and but I think it's it, the key. I think it could go back to what you were saying earlier about finding that piece of our childhood where you go what are you good at? Oh, I'm a good runner or I'm a good this like getting back to that place where we're, you know, just digging down and stripping away all of the rejection and the cynicism and all of the, oh, you, I can't do, I can't, yes. I can't, I can't, I, I, and I finding t- that thing. I agree with you 100%. And I'll tell you, uh, um, uh, I'll tell you something else that I, I think it is. It, uh, it's the will. It is the finding what you're great at. And then you find something and you go, wow, you know, I've always wanted to do that. But no, I really, I probably wouldn't be good. I, I shouldn't try. No, that's, I don't have time. Not, not the right. It's the courage to say, yes, I'm going to try. Mm-hmm. If I didn't say, yes, I'm going to try, these children's books would not exist. Right. I would, it, it was very easy for me to say, uh, you know what, I can't do that. Uh, it's, it's not in my wheelhouse. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not going to do it. Is there anything that you never did that you still want to do or wish that you had done? Just if that you were anything you were afraid of? No, that you didn't try? I would like to. I'm afraid of everything. Really? Yeah. I did a movie in 1979 for ABC. I did a television movie where I played Scrooge. Mm-hmm. I almost talked myself out of that. And I stepped over the line and took the plunge. And, it, uh, you know, I, I'm so proud that I did it. You know, I thought, oh, my God, Alistair Sims, all these people who played Scrooge, what the hell do you think you're doing, Henry? So you'd go and you find out what you're doing and you just try it. Neil Simon called me up and said, I want you to, to read, just read a play for me so I can hear it. Down at the music center. My worst nightmare. Reading <laughs> off a page. From Neil Simon. Neil Simon. Yeah. Oh, my God. I, I found every reason to say no. And I realized I now, you know what? Just shut up, Henry, and get your ass down there and do it. <laughs> you know? Or don't you dare comb your hair in the mirror again. <laughs> <laughs> don't you look at yourself again. I went down there. Make a long story short. We were on Broadway for nine months. Wow. wow. But I was this close to saying, you know what? It, I, I, I'm not available. <laughs> so it's not so much, I mean, it's okay to be afraid of things, but it's, it it's is, what you do that's with exact, yeah. that. That's the key. So how do you push through it? By saying, I'm going to try. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, you just put one foot in front of the other and you find yourself where you're supposed to be. 
I'm t- I, I, and look, I am no different than anybody else. I just know what I want, and I really want to continue doing it while I'm still standing. Yeah. And it works for anybody. It works for anybody. I, I know that to be true. I know that... Hold on. Stace, could I ask you to close the door, honey? <laughs> there is I'm sorry there is, there is no, no hall door. door that's a fair how about the door that leads to the hall no, it's, it's, there is no door. Oh. no 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 <laughs> my wife just closed the child gate that's not gonna work that's not that's that, that. No, that didn't work, honey. I can still hear you chattering. Are you talking to the gate? It's amazing. How long have you been married? There it is. Okay. On the Winklers. Yes. The only thing is, she's on this side of the door. Yes. You see, that's the only thing. And the child gate just prevented the child from getting... From falling down. But not... The stairs. The sound does not follow the same rules as children. No. No. How long have you been married? Uh, 36 years. And what have... First of all, amazing. Congratulations. Amazing. Yeah, that's great. And I myself am amazing. You know what it is. What is it? It's living in separate homes. And that really is the key, <laughs> you know. And you, you kind of you drive over every once in a while and oh, say perfect. hi. That's all. Yeah. That's all I've ever dreamed of. Yeah, you pick up, up your mail yeah. and you keep going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you keep moving yeah. like yeah. a shark. I'm yeah. telling you, never sleep. Yeah. <laughs> never sleep in the same place two nights in a row. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> treat treat them like Mick Jagger. Just give them a nod every once in a while. Oh, I'm not kidding. Mick, I'm nodding. <laughs> Henry. You don't have to say you're nodding. You can just nod. Henry. Henry. Were you guys, uh, was there a ton of improv in Night Shift? Were you guys improvising a lot? No. Now, it was written by two greats. It was written by Babalu Mandel and Lowell Gans. Who ran Happy Days for seven years. Mm-hmm. So these guys are still to this day some of the best uh, script doctors in the world. We were on the subway. A saxophonist came up and started to blare in my face as the character Chuck mm-hmm. in the movie. We break for lunch. I'm supposed to give him some money. I thought, you know what? There's got to be something funnier than he's right in my face. I really want him to leave. I'm a little intimidated. I don't, what do I do? I don't want to just give him money. We're at lunch. Michael Keaton said, write him a check. (laughs) (laughs) I ran to Ron. I said, I think we solved them. And he said, okay, let's do it. So there was that, you know, and uh, Michael just was... This light, you know, 
But the character of Chuck, and I know the scene you're talking about where the guy's like, you're like, I don't, and then you just start writing. Is that, is Chuck close, is Chuck close to who you are? Because Chuck's character was so much the, he would, you know, he would uh, try to make people happy at the expense of his own happiness. Like he would help people. Chuck is closer to me than, than the Fonz. But the. The the perfect synthesis of you guys. Why did you? Why did? Why did you and? Why did that group not get together again and do something know. else? I don't know. I'm not sure. But really, people ask now. They say, "Well, you know, with you two, um, I, I don't know." I just met him at New York Comic Con. I moderated a panel for Birdman, and he was so lovely and yeah. engaging. And yeah. you know, maybe it's time. Well, you know what? Also, he is. Look how lu- he's got to know how lucky he is that this magnificence came into his lap. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? If you're not grateful about that, then you're never going to be. Exactly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. And, I, you know, Ed Norton was great in that movie. Yeah. But the star of that movie, I think, is the director. The movie is the star of the movie. The movie yeah. is the star of the movie. Yeah. yeah. And hopefully people... Because uh, I, I kept... You know, at, at, the comic, at Comic-Con, I was like, guys, it's not a superhero movie. Like, I was trying to tell them, like, it's not a superhero movie. It's a movie, but you, you should see it. You absolutely, so you absolutely have to see yeah, it. Yeah, really. Um. So what's what's left? What are, what are what you else? You know what's left is I don't know what's left. I just hope that it is whatever from whatever time I have now until what's left, I hope is as full as it's been. That's all I can ask for. I uh I get to travel a lot. Um I get to speak uh to all of these uh wonderful children all over the world. I get to speak to adult groups. I get to act. I get to write these wonderful books, which, uh, can I just say, I have no shame, I think are really great Christmas gifts. Yes, it's the holiday season. It's the holiday season. Hank Zipser or Here's Hank. Gosh, they will make your kid happy. Or well, any kid that you know. Yeah, because oh my who's goodness. this one? This is Scruffy. This is a third new this dog. This is Scruffy. <laughs> this is a Hi, third. Scruffy. Lightning. Scruffy is, is a, <laughs> Scruffy is a brand new puppy. <laughs> Scruffy. Scruffy's amazing. Scruffy this is my son-in-law. Scruffy. Uh-huh. Scruffy. Oh, Scruffy. So now we've had. No, no apologies. You can't. <laughs> you cannot contain Scruffy. Scruffy is lightning in a bottle. Scruff. Oh. Wow. Scruff. Yes, my baby girl. What a sweet. Yes, my baby girl. What a sweet dog. Oh, she's the best. She's the best. Hi, Rob. Hi, how are we? Wonderful. Your son is upstairs. All right. He's quite a drummer, by the way. He is. Yeah. He was, he's fantastic. I agree. I'm heavily biased. So. <laughs> All right. Bye, Scruff. As he bounces on his on her back leg. You know what I love about out of the room. What I love about because a lot of podcasts we do are in a little studio space. Yeah, but it's really nice just sort of getting a sliver of what what your life is like, which is very crowded. <laughs> it's very crowded. You gotta cut a lot of this loose, man. You should oh. get an apartment in Hollywood and just go live you, live that's the life. Not my own house. No, but it's. But just the idea of you, uh, just how family-centric everything yeah. just sort of swirls around. Yeah. 
but it's it's really enriching, you know, especially um, uh, you know for when you have grandchildren, it is different. Do you know, um, people always say, "Oh, well, you know, the great thing about grandchildren is you get them and you have them and then you give them back," and that I think is just a silly thing because they are just tender and fun and enlightening. You know, it's great. It's I great. think after this podcast, yeah, everyone's going to want to come over and have coffee cake with yes. you. Yes. So you're all welcome. Just know yeah, that those, there's. Could there you stop go. at a bookstore along the way <laughs> and pick up? I knew there was something to the coffee cake. <laughs> you piece of shit. <laughs> but you know what, though? You know what? I have to pay for that coffee cake in some way. Yeah, seriously, Jonah. <laughs> you know, the, the store doesn't take. You know, doesn't 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 take like. Um, uh, you know, you give them like a baseball card. Or a, or a if you give them a Hank Aaron card, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> a Hank Aaron card. I wish I had one. By the way, what I worked at, I used to work at K-Rock in the 90s. Yeah. And my favorite, like they had these drops of basically people coming in and going, my name is so-and-so, and you listen right. to the world famous K-Rock. My absolute favorite one, and I played it over and over again when I was on the air from midnight to five, was you... And I guess you would come in, and they had asked you like, "What's a what's your Christmas wish?" Yeah, and you go, "Hi, this is." I remember it word for word. Hi, this is Henry Winkler, and uh, if I have one wish for Christmas, it's uh, quit calling me fucking Fonzie, okay? <laughs> and that was, <laughs> and I I didn't expect it, right? And I, it made, it, and even when I did, it made me laugh every single time. We had a great time together, though, because I I would um, be on that show a lot, the morning show. Yeah. You know, Kevin and the Kevin yeah. and Bean, and then Bean. How about this for technology? Yeah, Bean is not even in the state. Really weirded me out when I went in there, and you just hear the voice, and they still like they still have like a dynamic. It's amazing. It's insane. They're talking to each other like they're next door to well, each they're other. They're yeah. great. They're so good. And yeah. such. I dig those guys. Yeah, yeah really I've known dudes. them forever. Yeah. It's and wonderful. They're, they're just nice guys. They were wonderful to me. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and as we're sort of uh, wrapping out the wrapping out the podcast and wrapping out the year, yeah. What are you um, What are you thankful for this year? You know, I, one of the things that I've thought about is that we used to say, "Wow, the world is so small; mm-hmm. it's getting smaller," and now. The thought of it getting smaller is so dangerous. We are a plane ride away from a plague. We're a plane ride away from terrorists. We, there are wars going on. There are new wars starting. We, we, we never finish the war phase. So, you know, some of these children are going to grow up. And when is it that we are really going to just go, you know what? Why don't you live over there? We'll live over here. And for, for both of us, them to us and us to them. And just get along. You know? Correct. That sounds, that sounds a little trite, but it, it, it's, it's like, oh, my God, we can only go into a, in, into a tornado. Yeah. You know, that is just going to sweep the world up into I don't know what dust. 
You know, I'm the next world war is going to be about fresh water. California is we're pumping water out of the uh, the reserves underground. Uh, It will take hundreds of years to replace that water. There is no water coming. But I know where there's the greatest black and white cookie. (laughs) What? That I've ever had in America. Can I can I just say Bee's Bakery in Reseda? It's in Reseda. Yeah. Mm. The best black and white cookie in America. That was the most perfect ending to the podcast. Would you please, we say it, we tell people to enjoy their burrito at the end of the podcast. We say enjoy your burrito. Enjoy your burrito. It sounds so nice coming from you. Of course, it will give me gas. (laughs) But you'll enjoy it before that happens. But I'm going to love it while it's going down. And wash it and and follow it up with a black and white cookie. There you go. At Bee's? At Bee's Bakery. In In Reseda, California. California. Hello. (laughs) You got stock in Bee's? No. It's just I've been going there for years. Oh, really? Like, 30. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes my birthday cake is that black and white cookie, except bigger. A big giant cookie. A big giant black and white cookie. Done. Yeah. But it's the greatest black and white cookie ever. And can I just say thank you for coming to my house? Of course. Of course. And what a pleasure to it's chat with you. It's an honor. Now, I didn't want to eat it while we were talking, but uh, now I'm going to enjoy some coffee cake. And it's, it's good. My, it's my birthday's Sunday, so I'm having a birthday <gasps> party tonight. Happy birthday. Thank you. Oh, my God. Do you have any idea when I was a kid if I thought the Fonz would say happy birthday oh, to me? Oh, wait like, a minute. Wait a minute. Arthur. Arthur. Yeah, what do you want? <laughs> you know what? Could you just say happy birthday uh, on the air? Do I have to? Could you just do it as a favor to me? Yeah, right. Who's it to? This this gentleman here sitting in the white, in the purple shirt. All right, he's wearing purple, you know that. Hey, happy birthday. I'm not kidding, and like many, many more. What What is your name? <clears throat> it's Chris. Chris, yeah. You ride bike? Sure. Yeah? Yeah. All right, what kind? Just a Schwinn. No kidding. Yeah. That's like really a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Fonzie. Bye. <laughs> that was an even better ending than the black and white cookie. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. Behind every successful business is a story, and some of them might surprise you. Like how Chobani's first yogurt factory was discovered on a piece of junk mail. Or how the founder of the multi-million dollar cosmetics brand, Drunk Elephant, was told by everyone, including her own mother, that the name sounded like a dive bar. I'm Guy Raz, and on my show, How I Built This, I talk to founders behind the world's biggest companies and brands to learn the real stories of how they built them. In each episode, you'll hear entrepreneurs share moments of doubt and failure and talk about how they were able to overcome them on their way to the top. How I Built This is like a masterclass in innovation and creativity, a how-to guide for navigating life's challenges from the people who've done it all. 
Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.